0: All right. Thanks, Logan. Look at that. It's like service here. All right. Thanks. Sorry for all you guys that were sitting in the dark. I was really afraid. I sat in these chairs before I got up here, and they are real comfy. And I was like, everyone's going to be asleep. We got to turn on the lights. (laughs) Well, um, as I said, my name is Josh Howell. I am really excited to be with you tonight. yeah, I graduated uh, from Ball State in 2009 with a degree in architecture. Any Archies out there? One. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's give him a hand. Come on. Oh wait, two? Two. Oh, two. Yeah. You guys are great. Um. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, graduated with a degree in architecture and uh, my sophomore year at Ball State is when I got involved with Crew um, through my now wife, Whitney. And she was already involved in Crew, and we started dating, and all the Crew staff were like, who are you dating? I think he's a pagan. Get rid of him. Uh, And I was, and they were right. But (laughs) I came to some weekly meetings and uh, met some people and decided there was something different about these people that I met. There was something that I really wanted out of this. And I went to a men's retreat and that's where I heard the gospel and came to Christ and uh, then ended up at uh, NDCC and uh, from there also ended up in East Asia which you just heard about and uh, from there God really transformed my life and I decided uh, as soon as I started seeing people come to know Jesus I was hooked. I want to give the rest of my life to having people come to know Jesus. And so that led Whitney and I uh, on staff with crew uh, for five years uh, at Ball State, a couple years as interns, a couple years raising support, and then back on uh, staff on campus, mostly working with the Greek students. Any Greeks out here today? All right. Awesome. Uh, And uh, so mostly working with Greeks uh, for our five years there. And then We transitioned off of staff in 2014 to Plant City Hope Fellowship, uh, which is a uh, multi-ethnic church in downtown Muncie. Um, We uh, have been working towards that for three years. We launched September 10th, um, so tomorrow uh, we'll be there, and uh, that will be our fourth week as a church. We are a baby infant church um, and so we are very excited about that. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really pumped to be with you tonight because I think that fall retreat is something that's incredibly special. Um, that God does some massive things here in your life that will literally shape the rest of your life. And so I really want you guys to dig into what that is tonight. Um, really want you to open yourself up to God's spirit, that he would be at work in transforming you as we look at the word together tonight. Well, uh, also, as they said, I have three kids, uh, Tycho, Finnegan, and Amelia. They are uh, almost seven, almost, or just turned five, and almost three. And uh, when you have young kids, you're just tired a whole lot. Um, and my parenting style changes drastically when I'm tired and when I'm not tired. Um, typically on a, uh, school morning we wake up and don't let our kids watch TV because then they get crazy and we're trying to get them dressed and out the door and off to school and we make them eat real fast and get dressed and, and we get moving on our day and things like that. But on Saturday mornings, I'm really tired. And so I stay in bed and let my kids do whatever they want. Like this morning, when they woke up at 6.45, because that's what they do, uh, because they don't yet realize that sleeping is like a good thing. And so they haven't figured that out yet. And so when they come in, I said, go back to bed. And then I rolled over, and I didn't actually really care what they did. (laughs) Um, But on Saturday mornings, typically our kids will wake up and go downstairs and watch TV for like two hours, And they'll make their own breakfast, which typically means there will be a a large bowl, like the largest salad bowl we have, and a massive serving spoon full of soggy cereal with like half the gallon poured out in this cereal because I don't really care, (laughs) because I'm tired. Now, I I share that story because I think it keys in on something I want to talk about tonight. When it comes to what's going on in our world today? What's going on in sort of current events and all around the world? It feels like, and maybe I'm the only one, but I don't think so, but it feels like things are coming at us sort of lightning fast. Anyone else feel that way? Like every day there's this crisis that I'm supposed to have like, uh, a, a toolbox in which I can respond from. Like, hey, Christ is over here. I got a tweet for that. I got a blog that I wrote for this. I've got a sermon that I'm preaching about this thing. And also, I'm like leaving tomorrow to go save what, whoever, wherever, right? Like, I, I don't know about you, but I feel really tired about that. Anyone else feel tired about all of the stuff going on in the world? just weary, just tired. I think some of it has to do with our information overload. Like we just know more about what's going on in the world than generations before us. And we're more connected than ever before. We're we're lonelier. We lack real face-to-face connection, but we're more connected across the globe than ever before. And so we can see the suffering that happens across the globe really quickly. And I think that makes us weary because we're actually not omnipotent or omnipresent or omniscient. Those are actually characteristics of God and him only, all-powerful all-knowing, and all-present. Only God can be that, but we have this illusion of being that through our connectivity. And some of it, some of this issue is uh, a shifting cultural ground, that we're in a unique time in which the world, at least in the world that we experience, the Western world that we experience here, the cultural lines seem to be shifting. We're in what some people would call a post-Christendom, where the church is no longer in the center of culture. And those things are starting to shift, and it's starting to make things uncomfortable for us. But I think some of it is the reality that we're waking up to the fact that this is not Disney World. Like, we've believed this lie that life should be like Disney World. In the American experiment, we have believed this lie that life is all about my comfort and happiness. The rest of the world has never really lived that way, but we've pretended that that's true, and we're waking up to the reality that maybe that's not true. And maybe that hasn't been true for everyone in the American experience always. Maybe it was never true for some of you. And so we're waking up to these tragedies each day. More hurricanes, more unarmed people dead at the hands of police, more pain, and shifts in political alignment that makes things scary threats of nuclear war like what what world did we wake up to what are we supposed to do in processing these things you see here's here's i think the problem that we're facing when we feel tired of hearing about those things when we feel weary about hearing about all of those things we respond like i respond to my kids when i'm tired we get lazy We respond poorly and we retreat back to what's comfortable and easy. We retreat back to what's comfortable. Whatever camp the world wants to put us in, we retreat to that and we respond like everyone else in that camp. We get entrenched in our positions and we just ignore the rest because it's too hard to engage. And we don't want to take the work to learn what it means to engage rightly because we're tired. So, what are we supposed to do? Because it's just easier, right? If we're honest, it's just easier to pick a camp and say, I'm gonna just respond to all of these tragedies like this camp responds, because then at least I'll have some friends. But when you speak in a more careful way, thinking about world events through the lens of Jesus, you're gonna make enemies on all sides. Because that's what happened to Jesus, right? It's gonna be more difficult. It's gonna be more it's gonna require more energy and nuance. It's gonna require more commitment. And it's gonna take a lot. So how are we to do that? What what are we supposed to do in the midst of this? How exactly are we supposed to respond? Well, friends, I think what we need is to find a deep rest in Jesus so that we can respond well to the things that are happening in our world because it's actually super important how we respond to these things. It's not meaningless. It's actually super important because you know that Jesus did not die on a cross so that you and I could live a comfortable life. It's actually not why he died on the cross. And so if we're going to be transformed to live a life of radical obedience to Jesus in the midst of a world and a culture in which things are changing rapidly and coming at us in new ways, we need something deep to cling to. Some deep rest in Jesus that allows us the strength to continue to engage in these things. We have to tap into something. And tonight, what I want to tap into is actually Jesus praying for us, his people. Tonight, we're going to look at John chapter 17. And this is a place in Scripture called the High Priestly Prayer, where Jesus prays for his people. Jesus prays for you and I in this prayer. And what we're gonna learn from this is a few things that Jesus lays out as sort of a template by which we would engage in the world and find strength to fulfill that as Jesus prays for us in this. So before we get into the word, let me pray for us um, that God would, be, would meet us here. Father, thank you for tonight. Um, Lord, thank you that we... Uh, though we are weak vessels who don't know everything, that God, you do. Though we feel the pain and the turmoil of our world and the uneasiness of knowing what to do in the midst of that, God, you know what you're doing. You are sovereign over all. You are powerful. You are present. You are knowledgeable of all things. And so God, Tonight, we pray that you would speak by your spirit through your word. God, I'm not here to give my ideas because that's not what these dear people need. They need you. They need your word. So, Jesus, would you speak to us? Would you be present? And would you transform us in this moment by your spirit to be more and more like your son Jesus, Father. Father, would you do this for your glory? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we are in John chapter 17. We're actually going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to unpack some things from it. So, John 17, starting in verse 1. while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture may, might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask All right, that's a lot. But I wanted to read the whole thing to give some context, and we're gonna focus on a few pieces of this. But what we see here is Jesus with his disciples right before he goes to be crucified to rise again. This is just after the Last Supper where Jesus is with his disciples in this precious moment where he's just teaching them and loving them and being with them. And here we have Jesus praying, again, not just for the disciples, but for us also. Did you catch that in there? I am praying, I ask not only for these, but those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and I. So this is a prayer of Jesus for God's people for, from the time of the disciples through now until the Lord will return. And from this passage, we're going to see three things that ought to shape our response to the world. But first, we need to see why it's necessary that we have this response. Right? So in verse 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He doesn't pray that we would be taken out of the world, but that we would be protected from the evil one man, wouldn't it just have been easier if he said, God, would you just take him out of the world? Like, living in the world is hard. Living in the world is this place of tension, right? When, when Jesus talks about the world here, right, he has in mind all of the people, systems, and world, governments, and everything that comprises culture and world, right, that is opposed to God, the world. It's hostile, right? He says, keep them safe from the evil one, which means the evil one's at work in the world, right? So it's this place of tension and difficulty where it would just be far easier if Jesus had prayed to take them out of the world But he prays to keep them in the world, not of the world, but in the world and protected from the evil one. So if we're to engage in these things, we need to know what we we ought to do. But but we need to know that it's going to be messy and hard. And we're going to make mistakes, right? Because Jesus anticipates that by praying, God, keep them safe from the evil one. So a few things that Jesus would call us to. The first is truth. Truth. Right at the beginning of this prayer, this says, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life. Right? Speaking of himself, Jesus says, Father, since you gave me all authority, Jesus has all authority over all things in the world. And that ought to inform what we believe. Right? And he, he says in the midst of this, right, in verse 14, he says, I have given them your word, and this word is true. Right? The word of truth, uh, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus has a focus in this prayer that we would be sanctified in the truth. And the truth is the word, the scriptures. Friends, if we are to engage in the world today and understand what's going on and actually figure out how Jesus would have us respond as his people when something happens, we've got to know the truth. We've gotta know the scriptures. The only way we're going to have a worldview that is shaped by Jesus is to soak ourselves in the truth of God's word. Now we need to be careful that when we say we are focused on the truth of God's word that we are understanding that we have to rightly understand that, right? We have to rightly understand what the Bible is saying and not just take it out of context and slap a verse on something to justify what we say, right? Which means we need to actually listen to voices from people who read the scriptures who don't look like or speak like us. Because you know that every culture has inherent weaknesses as we come to the Bible, right? Here's a really, really easy example. Something that has so shaped English speaking cultures is the fact that the English language does not have a word for a plural you, right? We don't really have a word for that, right? It's just you, right? Other languages have words that distinguish you individual and you plural. This is why this is really important. Skip up to verse uh, to chapter 16, verse 33, just one, one sentence up, right? I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Who's Jesus talking to there? Is he talking to me individually, you? Or you plural? Well, we can't really tell from the English language, but in the original Greek, it's a you plural. So if you're going to read your Bible like the Bible is meant to be written... Start getting used to the word y'all. Right? Every time you see a you, just assume it's a y'all. Because they're almost all y'alls. Right? But how does this affect it? How does this affect this? Right? If I believe that this is a you singular, how do I interpret this? Man, my life is hard. Tribulation has come upon me. And Jesus has overcome the world. Right? I self-focus rather than see this as the global body of Christ that he's speaking to so that when those who claim the name of Jesus suffer in other places I suffer along with them because the church the people of God in this world will have trouble but Jesus has overcome the world, right? It forces me to start thinking about my neighbor and not just myself, right? So you see, that's an easy example, but every culture has its own lens by which it sees the world. And sometimes we read the Bible and we say, the Bible says this and it's so clear and we're blinded because of our cultural preferences, So what we need to do is actually listen to people who are different from us and how they have read the Bible and listen to how the church has historically read the Bible and that will give us a really good understanding of what does Jesus intend for us from the scriptures. What does Jesus mean by truth? So if we're doing that, right, now, now, I don't say that to say like, okay, everyone in here has to go get a couple more degrees to be able to read their Bible every day. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying, I'm just saying you have to be aware of those things. You have to just be aware of the way in which you read the Bible is going to be shaped by the culture in which you live. And so, to understand it, you just need to listen to other voices, right? Listen broadly and diversely and that will help you in your understanding of truth. But friends, when something happens in the world, our knee-jerk reaction ought to be, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible have to say about whatever issue or or thing is going on? Right? The way we are informed and the way we respond should be We should be more informed by the Bible than by Fox News or CNN or Twitter or my parents or what all of my friends think or whatever that one pastor or scholar that I look to right away to know what he says or whatever a celebrity that I follow and love says, or whatever is the least conflict-oriented position. How can I take the, the path of least resistance on whatever topic? That's the one I choose. That's my position. It has to be informed by what the Bible says about it. What does the Bible say about justice and mercy and natural disasters? What does the whole scope of Jesus' word to us say about these events? Right? If we're to actually process those things with a biblical worldview, we have to desperately read our Bibles. Right? In, In talking about how do we respond to current events, I don't think the thing I'm telling you to do is to read the newspaper more. Those don't really exist anymore. To read Twitter more. I'm telling you to read your Bible more because you will actually start to respond like Jesus responds. If we would read the word and ask God to shape us to be more and more like Jesus, we could respond differently to things. Now, I think Something I'm concerned about when we come to, to, to responding about what the Bible says, right? Something I'm concerned about is that sometimes we, and by we I mean evangelical Protestants in, uh, in particular, in an effort to be neutral on things, we have basically said that the Bible says a lot about how to get saved and about nothing else. But that's not really what it says, right? Like it says a lot more than that. I'm not saying that we minimize the fact that it talks about how to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the main point, right? From start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation, it's a story of God's redemptive purposes to save a people. But Jesus prays that we would be in the world and not of the world, which means he also equips us to be in the world, but not of the world which means he actually addresses a lot of other topics. He actually addresses many other things. Now, I'm not saying that that means that one group of people in the world, like a political party, for instance, kind of lines up pretty closely to the Bible, because at least in this country, neither one does. Right? Now, now, we will all defend our position from Scripture, right? You've got Christians on both sides saying, well, look at this and look at this. But friends, we have to actually look at the whole scope of things. Right? Jesus cuts both ways. He cuts both ways and speaks prophetically to all people. Challenging all people with their own sinfulness and the sinfulness of the world around them and calling them to a better way of life, the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus where we have relationship with God and peace and love towards our neighbors. Now, why does, why, why does the Bible challenge the world in that way? Well, because, as we said, right, the world is under the power of the evil one. The world is in conflict with the Bible, so the Bible is always going to challenge and butt up against those things. The Christian message from day one, friends, has been that Jesus is Lord and no one else is. Jesus is Lord and no one else is. That means that every system of government or every culture, every political party, every major event is going to have some mixture of good and evil because people are made in the image of God and yet fallen and broken, which means that these things cannot be our primary hope or home or citizenship But that lies with Jesus. Now friends, the world responds not in longing for truth, but pushing us towards lies. The world continually wants to twist the truth as long as it's advantageous for their position. As long as it's advantageous to keep position or fits the narrative that I believe that's what the world pushes towards. But friends, we ought to be folks who are willing to be corrected by Jesus and by the word because we ought to be folks that long for the truth that Jesus promises will sanctify us. So an example of this in the world, right, when it comes to a big topic like racial justice or injustice in the world, friends, we ought to be folks who are concerned with the truth. Folks who are concerned with the truth, not just what fits our narrative of how we think things work, but that truth that must be historically rooted and figured out, which means we must actually learn to listen. We must actually learn how to have conversations and to listen to people and to engage on those things. Right, friends, it's easy for us to quote Martin Luther King Jr. and condemn blatant white supremacy, but I think it's harder for us to actually engage in really difficult challenges. Like, how does racial injustice still sort of systemically exist today? Right? Because remember, when we quote King, King was assassinated. That was an uncomfortable, difficult period in which he was greatly opposed. It's easy for us to look this side of that and say, well, clearly, look, he stood on the side of truth but it's harder for us to look into our own lives in the midst of current events and say, where is truth? What is true? It's harder for us to listen today. It's easy for us to look on historical things and see those realities. But if we're to act like Jesus in the midst of this, we need to be committed to truth and we need to be committed to listening and learning for truth. And one way in which we can do this, right, is to listen to the word, right, we talked about that. Another thing we can do is actually listen to what the world says, because you know what, the world does get it right sometimes, and often where the world gets it right is in diagnosing the problem. Oftentimes the world can see things are broken here and I don't see why this is happening especially when it looks at the Christian community, the world can sniff out hypocrisy really fast. We kind of stink at it. Let's just be honest, right? We kind of stink at seeing our own junk. That's why we need others. And so one of, one of the things that's most helpful is to listen to what the world says where it points out hypocrisy in the church or where it points out a problem that it has no idea how to fix because it doesn't know the ultimate truth. The world's really good at pointing out problems. And so we ought to listen to that and then come with the truth of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has given us his word and given us his truth. And then we can actually engage in the midst of that. So that's the first point. Second point, love. Jesus calls us in this prayer to love. In verse 26, the final verse, he says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The love of the Father towards the Son in us. Guys, this is wild, right? Think about this. God the Father for all eternity loved God the Son, his beloved Son. And Jesus prays that that love would be in us. That we would be transformed to participate in the love between the Father and Son in the Holy Trinity. That is glorious. And that love, he calls us to then spill over into our lives. When we are filled with the love of God, it spills out into our lives to our friends, to our fellow believers, and to the world, to our neighbor, right? Jesus calls us to love God and to love neighbor, right? This fulfills all the law, to love God and to love neighbor. And that happens because God pours his love into us right, if you here today are trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, then you have the love of God the Father for God the Son in you by God the Holy Spirit. Can we just take a moment to realize how amazing that is, right? That you have the eternal, glorious All knowing, all powerful God, the love that He experienced for all eternity within the fellowship of the Trinity in you. You get to participate in that. The God who flung the stars into the universe and knows them by name calls you His friend and loves you and loves you deeply. If you are trusting in Jesus. Now, how does that affect what I've been talking about, world events? Like, how, what are you talking about? If we are loved by God, we don't need to cling to and cling